live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Conspicuous by his absence is your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. He's in mourning. He is in mourning. The Knicks finally lost. He needed a day. But there's hope. Stars are looking at coming to New York. They're a viable option again. Stop me if you've heard this before. Until it happens. But honestly, at this point, the Knicks are okay. So I don't feel the need to hit the glass and hit the alarm just The yet. Knicks are okay, and there's a podcast weekly shitting on James Dolan. All is well. It's a fantastic world we live in, folks. And we thank you so much for joining in our world. We want to keep the conversation going with you after the podcast as well. So swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on social media. You can find all our links to Facebook, Twitter, where we are extremely active. So definitely hit up Pat and Coach during the week. You can find the co- uh the accounts for Instagram, TikTok, Twitch, Tout. There is a secret Tout account we have found, but we can't say it on there. So I, bl- you, I blame Dog. Uh, we can blame Dog. Shout out to him. All that, the T Public store, and so much more is at odphpodcast.com. So definitely swing by, continue the conversation. Always remember use the hashtag odphpod. So let us kick off this fusion edition of the ODPH, recapping the series that was. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. The second show of the MCU return and debut on Disney Plus definitely fulfilled a lot of questions that we had. Yeah. Some expectations were very, very much met. And there was a lot to break down in the saga of Bucky Barnes, played by Sebastian Stan, and Sam Wilson, played by Anthony Mackie. Mm -hmm. We are going to be breaking down the finale, episode six titled One World, One People. So if you have not seen the episode yet and you need to catch up on the series, we're going to tell you right now, pause this podcast where you are, binge watch, then jump back in the conversation because Pat and I are going to deep dive into this episode and the series in general in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? I thought the episode overall was enjoyable, but in terms of like a finale, it was a bit of a letdown if I'm being honest. That I like the story, I like the action, and, and it was cool. But in terms of, like, closing things off and putting a bookend on this story, it felt like a bit of a, you know, if a car's going down the highway, it felt like, you know, one or two tires went flat. Where everything was chugging along, everything was great, you know, high speeds, high action, weaving in and out of traffic. Not that I recommend you do that, you know. But just in terms of, like, because that the thing I like to do, if you, if you if, let's face it, this is to me right now as we record is a limited series. In that, as of right now, there's no second season. You know, as of right now, there's nothing planned for the future. You know, with season two or anything like that. You know, obviously we'll see the characters again, but this is the end of this story. This is presumably right now the end of this series. So I, you know, I'd like to see it like a book: beginning, middle, end. Close out all the plot lines you need to that are. For this story, obviously, you'll leave some loose hanging for whatever happens down the road with these characters, good and bad. But 
I feel like it didn't really go as far as it probably could have. That's an interesting take. For me, this hit their marks, and it definitely gave us some questions to ask for the future. But what this episode and this whole series was, was the ascension of Sam Wilson into becoming Captain America. Mm-hmm. Had they titled it something else than the Falcon and Winter Soldier, I think they would hit that mark straight on and there wouldn't be any question well, about Well, I mean, that. they did change the title, but it wasn't until the very end of the, sh- correct, end of the show. Correct, correct. But tying in Bucky Barnes to this, I, I'm not going to say it took away from the show because I don't feel it did. No. But I think for where the show's strength was at, by the end of this finale, mm-hmm. I think it did take a little off the shine of it. A yeah. Little, just a little bit. Yeah. But nothing super crazy that I left unhappy about. I was very happy with it, and I do have some ideas of where they're going in the future because, oh, yeah. like you touched, like you touched upon, they tied up some stories very, very quickly, mm-hmm. and that's where I can see where you're saying it fell flat. Yeah. Like for me, I'm not, now I'm not saying it was a bad episode, and I hated the episode. Right, right, I, right. I enjoyed the episode, just it didn't feel as strong as it could have been. Yeah, and, and that's and that's completely fair because I felt that there was a couple instances where they could have ended stronger. Mm-hmm. I, I will agree with you about yeah. that. But for what I was expecting from this, I got it. And I was happy about it. And I was just left with a couple questions and a couple moments that I'm going, hmm, where are we going from here? Right. So as we jump into the final episode, we do see that the Flag Smashers have made their attack on the GRC conference. Mm -hmm. And we kick off where they needed to. Shades of the first episode, too. Yeah. And and I got to say... Maybe you know, maybe somebody out there can tell us, were some of the members on the GRC like the head of whatever organization that was in Avengers 1 and then Cap 2? I believe so. I'm like, I'm looking at that and I wasn't looking it up and I didn't want to be bothered to take the time, but I'm like, I feel like I've seen some of you folks that you were the head of like the World Security Council. They definitely ring a bell. Like a couple of them I thought did look familiar and I figured, okay, they were tied with the Sokovia Accords and and all that. So with the stakes being as high as the Flag Smashers are now in the post-blip era, and the GRC is what is left over of the World Security Council and all those political figures that are involved. The, the Flag Smashers definitely knew what they were doing and trying to make their attack. But we start off, shades of, like I said, shades of the first episode because Sam Wilson is debuting in a very dramatic scene. Yeah. Throwing the shield through the window. And then, lo and behold, he is wearing the Captain America uniform straight out of the comics. I'll say, I haven't seen a photo of the... Of the show costume and the comic costume side by side i'm sure it's out there i just haven't gone out of the way to see it yet but damn it if that ain't as accurate as you can get it was probably one of the most accurate page to film costumes i've ever seen i marked out when i saw him finally yeah so he is stepping right into the action to stop the flag smashers and he does have bucky barnes to help him as well with a couple other friends tagging along right which we'll get to as we start diving in because we know that the ultimate play was Batrock was hired by Sharon Carter, as we found out last episode, mm-hmm. to stop Sam Wilson and basically be working a, a double angle with the Flag Smashers. Because not everything was as we thought it was. No, and of course it never is with Marvel. No, it never is. But we see that she has now entered the fray into the battle of the GRC and we do see some very good back and forth action going on too, especially with George St. Pierre reprising his role as Batrock the Leaper yep. and having the battle going on with Sam. And I know this caught some flack online. Mm-hmm. Pat, did this bother you? Okay. 
Sam Wilson is not exactly the skilled fighter as Steve Rogers. No, you're right. So him fighting Batrock, was he completely outmatched and that was completely far-fetched that he was holding his own? No, I mean, because Falcon in his own has gone through a lot of battles and he's gone up against some guys. And let's face it, he does have military training. You know, he was in the military. Is he on the same level as Steve, you know, skill-wise? Probably not, just for the sheer fact that Steve has super soldier serum and Sam doesn't. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for Sam to hold his own against Batrock. He is an Avenger, after all. They don't let just anybody become an Avenger. Exactly. I, I was reading a lot of that online criticism, and I'm going, folks, you need to pump the brakes. Captain America can be anybody, and they don't need to be the most skilled fighter in all the MCU. They just need to be somebody that's willing to defend the ideals. And Sam is the perfect candidate to do this. And he was holding his own against Batrock. The action sequences in this final episode oh, yeah. were great. Cannot say enough great things about him. That, yeah. uh, that they completely established Sam, and especially his flying sequences, too, when he's stopping the GRC with the helicopter. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, he definitely demonstrated that he is worthy of the mantle of Captain America. Like, there was no question ever in my mind, but for anybody that had that kind of shadow of doubt, eliminated with this episode. Right. And as we see that he's going through the battles there, we do see that Bucky is on the heels of the Flag Smashers Mm -hmm. on the ground level. Yep. And then he gets an assist from your captain, my captain, not our captain at all. Hashtag not my captain. John Walker, who debuts with his homemade shield and is entering the fray. Real shitty. Shield. Yeah, it was, but this... The whole arc with him trying to do this redemption at the end. I had this discussion last night with Rich from 3FN mm-hmm. and the Council of Nerd, which you'll hear that episode on the 30 and Nerdy uh, Podcast Network this week. They, as in the show writers, mm-hmm. took their time to really try making the fans sympathize with mm-hmm. John Walker. Mm-hmm. That for as much hot garbage as he's done during this yeah. entire run. Yeah. They still were trying to make him a hero at the end. And then him yeah. making his homemade shield and of metals and trying to hold his own against yeah. the flag smashers. Yeah. I really thought they were trying to drive the point home that he is a hero at heart. Mm, a little too soon for that, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree too, but I was like, I'm like, I'm not opposed to it at some point, but right now, no, I mean, Obviously, we don't know how much time has passed in in terms of when he shot or killed the person in the in the square in Prague to back to Washington, where he basically got blacklisted by the military mm-hmm. to making the shield to now he's in New York. Like, we don't know how much time. Has, I would imagine maybe it's a couple of days, maybe a week. That is just way too quickly in terms of he's off his rocker, flying off the handles, pissed off and crazy to just go oh, hey, you know what? I fucked up. Let me try and fix this to then flip it to the end and like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm still working with, you know, Madam Hydra. Yeah, they really were holding that point off. I feel like, I feel like somebody in the writer's room like dropped their script and got the pages mixed up because the pages weren't numbered. That like this was slightly out of order. Well, they were trying to really establish, like I say, to redeem John Walker before the end of the show. Right. And have him come in and try saving the day and then obviously the action sequence going around the construction site with the flag smashers and seeing the bus that was going over the edge of the uh, ground zero. Something like that, yeah. That 
they were really trying to emphasize that point with having John Walker go and make the dramatic save and hold the bus yeah. back so people could go and get off in time and, and, and make the save. Like, they were trying to, like I said, I can't stress that enough. They were really trying to make him sound to be a hero that we hadn't seen in this show. Right. That he had just been the overbearing, typical super jock. Meathead. Yeah, that thought that he should be Captain America just because he got the suit. Right. And Sam Wilson completely outshined him this entire episode more than John did in the entire and five I, And I think, and I can't remember where specifically it happened, but I think that I think there was one point with the way the episode was shot where Sam did something or he finished doing something and he was doing like, not like a classic superhero pose, you know, like all oh, superhero landing, not like that, but he was doing it, he was posing. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment where the camera cut to, to John and he was looking and it, you could almost like read on his face. He's like, oh, that's why Steve chose him. Yeah. No, it was just something that they really made a point to explain Sam was worthy of the mantle. Like that, mm-hmm. this whole episode Drove that point home. It put Let's the say, big exclamation point on. Oh, yeah, on. And, and I think we all knew that Sam was worthy. It's just Sam had to figure it out for himself. Yeah, and that's why I said this whole show has just been that origin story for him. And, yeah. they, and they they pulled it off flawlessly with him. Like I say, Anthony Mackie did an amazing job this entire episode. So as they're going forward, the back and forth with the Flag Smashers, and Sam is making the crazy saves, too. He has Red Wing back. And they're making the helicopter save, and then he comes flying into mm-hmm. complete superhero fanboying. Oh yeah, right here. Oh yeah, that you just saw those big, like full panel action pages coming right to life as he is entering the fray. We do see Sharon Carter does make the con- confrontation with Carly Morgenthau, mm-hmm. the head flag smasher, and we do get the full realization. Not that we had any question about it, that yeah. Sharon Carter was the power broker mm-hmm. in least in this current stage. Yep, I still feel in my gut that. There is something else going on with her there. Uh, yeah, you said something last week that given, and we'll get to this, given the end of this episode, I'm starting to buy into a little bit. Yeah, that I don't think that she is the power broker. I'm going to say on record, though, I do not think that she is a scroll. Oh, see, I was going to, I'm starting to think she is. Really? Give, give it, we'll get to it, but given the ending and given that, like, final scene before the credits. Okay. We will get, we will dive into that one because I, I do have some thoughts about it. I saw the JVD posted that as well. Shout out to him in Crossover Collision. Uh, but I, I do have some other thoughts that, obviously, she is working to cover up her tracks very well. Oh, yeah. Because she does kill Batrock, who wants more money to keep his mouth shut. Which is a shame, because GSP's awesome. Yes. Which, yeah, like I said, I was I was actually pretty upset he got killed. I'm not going to lie. Uh, GSP, we were impressed by your performance. Yes. Facts. And during this segment, too, though, you do see that Carly has that standoff with Sharon. And Sharon's explaining about that she is on the completely wrong track. Yeah. And that she has to do this. Basically, she's saying this is because it's business. It's not personal. Oh, yeah. And she winds up killing Carly before Sam can get there. Yeah. Which I thought was a very interesting play that for anybody that was really questioning Sharon's motives. She's leaving a lot on the floor for you to not question those motives. Exactly. So as Sam winds up recovering Carly's body and bringing it to get medical treatment, he does confront the leaders of the, uh, the GRC. Jesus Christ, this whole scene. Dramatic, Pad. You want to take it? Yeah. So I've got I've got a whole thing up, and this was this was Sam's. You know, in the comics, uh, Cap's got the "No, you move" the whole speech. You know, Cap's got a bunch of speeches, but this was Sam's speech. You know, uh, so the whole sequence goes down. Uh, the senator says, "Sincerely, you did your part in dealing with those terrorists. Now we'll do ours." Sam says, "Are you still going forward with resetting the borders?" So uh, Senator Number Two says, "Our peacekeeping troops will be relocating people soon. The terrorists only set us back a bit." Sam, you have to stop calling them terrorists. Senator, one. Uh, what else would we call them? Sam, 
your peacekeeping troops carrying weapons are forcing millions of people into settlements around the world, right? What do you think those people are going to call you? These labels, terrorists, refugees, thug, they're often used to get around the question, why? Senator number two, uh, those settlements that happened five years ago, do you think it is fair for governments uh, to have the, to support that? Sam, yes. Senator number one, and the people who reappeared only to find someone else living in their family home, they just end up homeless? I get it, but you have no idea how complicated the situation is. Sam, you know what? You're right, and that's a good thing. We finally have a common struggle now. Think about that. For once, all the people who've been begging, and I mean literally begging for you to feel how hard any given day is, now you know. How did it feel, how did it feel to be helpless? If you can remember what it was like to feel, to be helpless and face a force so powerful it could erase half the planet, you wouldn't know what you were about to have exact uh, have the exact same impact. This isn't e about easy decisions, Senator. Senator, uh, you just don't understand. Sam, I'm a black man carrying the stars and stripes. What don't I understand? Every time I pick this thing up, I know there are millions of people out there who are going to hate me for it. Even now here, I feel it, the stares, the judgment, and there's nothing I can do to change it. And I'm still here. No super serum, no blonde hair or blue eyes. The only power I have is that I believe we can do better. We can't demand that people step up and we don't meet, ex meet them halfway. You control the banks. Shit, you can move borders. You can knock down a forest with an email. You can feed a million people with a phone call. But the question is, who was in the room with you when you were making those decisions? Is it the people you're going to impact or is it just more people like you? I mean, this girl died trying to stop you and no one has stopped for one second to ask why. You've got to do better, Senator. You've got to step up because if you don't, the next Carly will and you don't want to see 2.0. People believed in her because her cause so much that they helped her defy the strongest governments in the world. Why do you think that is? A few people have just as much power as an insane god or misguided teenager. The question you have to ask yourself is how are you going to use it? I will carry his books to school every day. Uh-huh. I will quote Peter Parker on that one. That was... Oh, I got chills. chills. Man, how could you not? He nailed it right on the head. He, yeah. He gets what being Captain America is. Yeah. The per the shield does not make the person. The person makes the shield. Yeah, exactly. Damn it, man. Sam Wilson. <sighs> Mic drop. Uh -huh. The minute that got said, it was like, okay, we are here. And the fact that, like, and I love, and you had to figure, but the fact that it was going out to the city, to the country, to the world, and everyone was seeing this, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, this is what needed to happen. That if anybody, like I say, if anybody was in doubt, Sam Wilson proved right there with that speech that he's kept. Uh-huh. Because the person makes the shield, and he represents the ideals, and that got went worldwide. The same thing yeah. John Walker did with his, you know, egregious actions. So Sam winds up postponing the vote. Yeah, I think I don't think they just postponed. I think they cancel it altogether. Yes, which I like. I said I couldn't tell that, but it was like the vote had been ended. Yeah. So Sam yeah. Sam winds up having one of the biggest wins in his short tenure of, mm -hmm. of his being Captain America. His tenure of like a few hours. Yes. So then we go. Tying up everything else almost, like, too happy. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is something that I you were touching upon, too, where it kind of fell flat. We do get a quick fast-forward that Sam is back home with his family. Yep. 
and they're celebrating because the boat has been saved because yep. now since Sam is Captain America, he's real popular. He's very popular, so you, obviously you're not going to cancel nope. Captain America's business. Nope. Which made perfect sense. Yeah. wasn't wasn't mad about it at yeah. all. Yeah. However you want to find it, Bucky is there. And then even when Bucky goes back to resolve the issue of the final name in his book, mm-hmm. where he tells the father of his last victim yeah. of what he did, knowing yep. full well the consequences, but he finally had that closure. Mm-hmm. This whole show has also provided Bucky Barnes with a clean slate yeah. when it was all said and done. Yeah. That he's no longer the winter soldier, yeah, but he's no longer Bucky Barnes as well. Yeah, and maybe also just some peace of mind that like that chapter of his life is closed. Mm-hmm. That you know he doesn't have to worry about any longer somebody coming up with a book and reading off the trigger phrases that get him turned into the winter soldier that you know, all the ghosts and the skeletons in his closet are 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 out. They're gone. That he don't, there's nothing he not, hopefully he has to worry about. You know, Lord knows something could pop up down the road that he just didn't know about. But for right now, what he knows of it, that's all behind him. And it's like, hey, I I don't have to spend my every day looking over my shoulder. Yes. Well, I think in certain instances he will, but he's come oh to, yeah. But he's come yeah. to peace where he needed to be. Yeah. That obviously, with all the reprogramming he's had to do. From being the Winter Soldier to now this incarnation of him. Because mm-hmm. obviously he's not the same person he was before. No. And he's definitely not going to be the same person after. He has now had that wide open lane to walk. Yeah. Wherever he's going to go from here is anybody's guess. But I do have a couple. But I want to kind of tie up a couple loose ends here on the show before we yeah. start deep diving into that. Because I thought one of the best scenes of the entire series mm-hmm. was after Sam had picked up Isaiah Bradley yeah, and took him to the Captain America exhibit. Oh, God. Talk about a tearjerker moment. Oh, man. I'm not, oh. not going to admit. Or I'm, listen, I'm not going to lie. I fully admit, man. I started getting choked up about it. Um, and I, I, did, I, I did, too. I do not get choked up about it yeah. much. He said, oh, I got to take you someplace. I'm like, okay. And as soon as he took him to the museum, I was like, oh, I know what he did. And, and as soon as I saw the, the statue, yeah, my eyes got a little misty. Yes, because it has been now fully recognized that Isaiah Bradley was Captain America. And, so, and he says something to the effect of, now no one will forget what you did. Yes. Way, long overdue. Way long overdue. And super emotional moment. Uh, like I say, if you watch that and you don't feel anything, you don't have a pulse. Mm-hmm. That, seriously. That was the perfect way to end the Sam story as we knew it. Yep. Bucky had his quote-unquote happy ending. Now we get into the two scenes that I think are going to be the ones that Pat and I are going to be talking about a lot more uh-huh. down the road. We do see the return of Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Contessa DeFontaine. Uh-huh. And she's meeting with one John Walker, uh-huh. who now has a new suit. Yeah. Which is identical to his Captain America one. Say, again, real, and also real identical to the one in the comics. Yes. And he kind of makes a, he's like, oh, wait, this is black. And she goes, well, yeah, because we don't need a Captain America. Right. We need a U.S. agent. And this is part of my issue with just the way they handled this, his story in this episode. You go from building him into the he's the next Captain America. Everybody loves him. We start to see the cracks in the armor or the shield, proverb, proverbially speaking. You know, to he's nuts, he's killing people in broad daylight, he's kicked out of the military, he's the title stripped away, you know, it's a man down and out on his out of his luck, nothing to lose. 
meets up with Madam Hydra. Now, granted, she hasn't called herself Madam Hydra, but you know the name. The Google search will tell you as much. Mm. She's not exactly hiding her intentions that you did nothing wrong. You were in the right. I can help you. That like, okay, yeah, no, this person isn't exactly on the up and up, you know, on the path of good. To, oh, I'm going to go help people. I'm going to save the world. But I'm still going to team up with the bad lady. Yeah, this was something that in the comics, I know a lot of people are asking, what is this movie meaning? Mm-hmm. Now, if you've read the original Captain America comics, you knew that Steve Rogers took up the mantle of the captain. Right. And he had the same suit. It was instead of blue, it was black. And he was doing the dual identity because when John Walker was Captain America, he was still being a superhero mm-hmm. until he won the the mantle back. And then the U.S. agent took the black suit and thus became the U.S. agent in the comics albeit under some very questionable circumstances and a lot of brainwashing. Yeah. And if you thought he was an obnoxious jerk, oh, my God, read some of the comics. Yeah. Like, you understand why I hate the character, because he is just basically the worst version of a wannabe Guy Gardner on steroids you'll ever meet. <laughs> and that just really kind of sums up my disdain for him. Because, and, But I will say this. Wyatt Russell did an amazing job. Oh, my God, as, yeah. I, and, I, and I know that people always hit me online, well, you hate John Walker. I hate the character. Don't hate the person. But Wyatt Russell is fantastic. Yeah. And to see that now he's going to be involved because there was another name that was mentioned during the sequence, and that was one Baron Zemo, mm-hmm. who was sitting in the raft, and he heard wind of how his butler took out the last of the super soldier serumed Flag smashers. Yep. In a car explosion. Yep. Well, that's because what was it? The previous episode when Zemo or whatever episode it was when Zemo was getting put into the back of the truck and the soldier looks at him and goes, one nation, one world, one people or whatever it is. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're totally not going to be there very long. Yep. It was very interesting to see how it played out. So they wiped out the flag smashers and Contessa knew about this. Mm -hmm. See, that was something that was like, okay, how do you know about this? Yeah. So this started making me think about what the direction is going to be. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see one of two stories play out. Okay. One, and I've been saying this for a little while, but now I'm leaning more so towards it, mm-hmm. and that's Thunderbolts. Okay. Now, if you know anything about the comics, it's a fantastic read, too. The Kurt Busiek and uh, Mark Bagley run, fantastic. You, yeah. Go read it. Yeah. But this is when... The Avengers and Fantastic Four were gone during Heroes Reborn. Baron Zemo led a team of villains that were portraying themselves to be heroes into a world without the Avengers. And it's gone through various incarnations throughout the years from the Uh MCU. So there has been quite a few teams comprised that call themselves the Thunderbolts. One team was led by one Bucky Barnes Ah. as Winter Soldier. So what do I see happening here? I can see one of two stories play out. One, I think that Contessa is forming her own Thunderbolts. Yeah. And you already have the shakeup of Zemo is going to be involved. Oh, yeah. Because if she knew that he pulled this off from jail, what's to say that she's not going to get him released? Oh, yeah. I, I definitely... Well, because clearly with bringing her in and giving her moniker, Madam Hydra, Hydra's coming back. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't surprise me that she's this knowledgeable and has this much information if there aren't still Hydra agents in various levels of government, mm-hmm. uh, not just the U.S., but around the world. Because it's it's I can almost like, draw a comparison to the, the Harry Potter uh, franchise because before the books take pl- took place in the, in the bad, big bad villain of those books... Uh, was quote-unquote defeated, but not really. 
uh, there were still some of his supporters in and around the government in various positions, but they just played dumb like, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. I was under his spell and yada, yada, yada. You know, I can imagine that something similar has happened with Hydra that either those who were Hydra agents just kind of stayed quiet and stayed low to the ground while they were just doing their thing and they're still there. Or they just straight up lied and went, yeah, no, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just following orders. Yeah, it's going to be something that we're going to see the rise of Hydra out Mm -hmm. of this one way or another. And I could see the Thunderbolts being involved with this. That you do, yeah. you do, you are starting to lay the foot footwork for it because with Zemo, U.S. Agent, I think Bucky Barnes is going to get added to this mix as well. I can see that because I can also see like her forming up this team and bringing in Bucky under false pretenses, like, "Hey, the Avengers aren't around right now. We need a team to like kind of step up and fill the hole that's left by the Avengers." We've got this ragtag group of individuals who are looking to make a positive impact on the world, but none of them have any experience in leading a team or doing, you know, the whole world saving thing. You've got experience with that. You're the best friend of Steve Rogers, Captain America, and you've saved the world however many times over. Why don't you lead the team? And then something happens along the way where it's like, okay, they're not saving the world. They're doing it for nefarious purposes. And all of a sudden the world that like has either a forgotten who he is or thinks, oh yeah, he's a good guy. He's an Avenger. All of a sudden hates him again. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting play if they want to go that route with it for Thunderbolts. The other one was based off the quote that John Walker said when he saw the suit mm-hmm. and he goes, it's black. And what I immediately thought is, are they going to try doing dark Avengers? Hmm. And what I mean by this is, if you've never read that storyline, is when the heroes are gone after Civil War, Norman Osborn makes a rise to power. Right. And takes over Hammer and forms his own Dark Avengers. Right. Alternate versions of the Avengers for a new world, new order, new everything. Yeah. And in that storyline, he has uh, certain uh, villains playing Avengers. Right. We see Bullseye playing as Hawkeye. Of course. Moonstone is playing as Captain Marvel. Sure. Dakin is playing Wolverine. Venom is Venom. Well, yeah. And then um, Speedball is Penance. I mean, it's it's an interesting story. I will say that. Now, I see them doing the version here because when I saw John Walker look at the suit and realize that he is not Captain America, but he is an alternate version of him, I immediately started thinking Dark Avengers too. And would Contessa be playing the role of Norman Osborn? Hmm, maybe. So she's forming her own team of Dark Avengers, which obviously are going to be all supervillains, antiheroes, and whatever they go from there is going to be anybody's guess as well. So that's the two stories I think they're going with concerning them. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see Thunderbolts. I'm, I'm a super Thunderbolts mark, so I'd love to see like the original team get mixed in. If we see a songbird in the MCU, I'll mark out. Yeah. But then there was the other scene. That Pat and I touched upon briefly as well. At the post credit scene, we see Sharon Carter has now fully gotten a pardon from the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. So she is back with the CIA. Well, I thought they meant S.H.I.E.L.D., but bummer. Yeah, I thought S.H.I.E.L.D. too, but they're they're being very coy about saying S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, because, oh, there, we, there's an opening at your old position. Would you be interested in taking it? And I'm like, well, the last time you were in a position, at least now that we know, was with S.H.I.E.L.D., so S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah. So we have to wait and see how that plays out. But immediately after she's walking out of the courtroom, she goes on her cell phone and she's immediately calling somebody and saying, look, call the buyers now. I got full access to the Mm -hmm. the secrets. I'll be able to move and and sell a lot here. Yep. So what does that mean to tell you, Pat? Secret invasion. 
You think? I'm thinking Secret Invasion. I'm thinking Scrolls because I realize she's got an axe to grind against the government and the powers that be. But it would just blow my mind if she's at that point and she's not a scroll. Like, I can see her acting because let's face it, scrolls are very good at hiding in plain sight, not knowing who you are. Christ, they've been doing it since the Captain Marvel movie, and here we are, and they're still, you know, they're among us. Mm. You know, but for her to be like that far down the well, so to speak, and be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm doing this for nefarious purposes, which just blow my mind. I think that her she, grandmother would be rolling over in her grave. Oh, God, yeah, Peggy would be losing her mind right now. I think that she's actually not a scroll. Okay. I have this weird feeling that she's working for somebody. Oh. And the true power broker is actually going to be Justin Hammer. Ooh, okay. I'm going to stick to that. That I think that she, I don't think she's being blackmailed, but I think that you're right that she has an axe to grind and this is what she's doing. And yeah. obviously secret agents have a tendency to flip between S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA, good and bad. Yeah. You know, how you change the weather. So this is not surprising too much, and I think she's working for him. The only reason I, I don't think that she'd be a scroll is if you're out there mass producing the super soldier serum, like why would you be trying to help make superheroes that could possibly stop your invasion? Yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like that's the one, the only reason I would say no, unless of course I was going to turn them into scrolls, right? Unless we're going scroll kill crew, which that okay, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, go to your local comic shop and go check that out. I, I it's a fantastic read, but let's get weird. You're going to have Sharon Carter setting up a lot, and I actually, the more I was starting to put this together, I think this is going to lead in armor wars. Could be that I think that she's going to be the one selling Tony Stark's uh, high tech. Yeah. Who else has an axe to grind against Tony Stark but Justin Hammer? Mm-hmm. It makes sense. It'll I haven't lead... seen him in a minute. Yep, which, I mean, if you know anything about the MCU, he is usually connected uh, to the power broker and such. So Usually where one follows, the other's not far behind. Right, so it does make some sense if they want to play it off there. And I have seen some people online mention it as well, and I'm like, I fully agree, because with Sharon Carter, you're not getting the exact version we've seen in the comics, so we're having a completely new player on the board. Right. So why else but set her up as the villain for Armor Wars? Mm-hmm. You have that establishment against Rhodey, and this can go into a lot of different directions. I think it would make it for an entertaining show because Armor Wars has been done in the comics. Yep. It's a great, uh, one of the better Iron Man stories you're going to read. So they go on to give it a proper villain to really hook the fans in. And obviously right. seeing Sharon Carter and how if she is being brainwashed or right. whatever you want to define it to explain it. I think can only help the story. And you got to figure that given the fact that Tony's dead and I realize people are making billboards, but stop the man's dead. Um, you got to figure at some point along the way here, whether it's an armor wars or some other movie down the road, you got to figure there's going to be some kind of fallout for his dying because there's no way that, uh, uh, his wife, I'm blanking on her name. Pepper Potts. Thank you. There's no way pepper can just keep all, she can't keep the lid on that cookie jar mm-hmm. that like some of that stuff's gonna get out it's just a question of how much and how important is it yeah it's a absolutely great question to do and as far as we know pepper Potts is not slated to be in disney putt right uh show so right but you, you gotta show. you gotta figure there's only so long they can keep the lid of that proverbial pandora's box closed yeah and it makes sense to completely open it up and sharon carter is a great candidate to do it so the show ends with all those storylines still happening yep and some we finally get some closure and then news broke uh-huh. that Captain America 4 is in pre-production. It has been greenlit. Yeah. So this came out from an exclusive, according to The Hollywood Reporter, uh, which the article reads, quote, 
Malcolm Spellman is picking up Captain America's shield once again. The head writer and creator of Disney Plus and Marvel's The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is developing a fourth installment of the Captain America film franchise for Marvel Studios. Spellman will co-write the script with Dalan Mousson, uh, a staff writer on Falcon and Winter Soldier. No casting for the castings for the project are officially known, but Friday's episode offers plenty of roads for the feature to take up. Take, up until this point, Chris Evans has played Captain America via the Steve Rogers character, appearing in a trio of solo movies, Avengers outings, and assorted other Marvel's films. And uh, the question of who is entitled to carry the shield or be Captain America was central to the show. The feature will most likely uh, is likely to continue the story of Sam Wilson, played by Anthony Mackie, and the current wielder of the shield. But as the writers get to work, it will be interesting to see how the story unfolds with there now being multiple people who have been Captain America's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No director is attached, and Evans' involvement slash return remains unconfirmed. Marvel was tight-lipped as usual. Uh, so, then, uh, close quote. And, the, yeah, the other thing I heard is that this isn't the supposed rumored Chris Evans project mm-hmm. that he's been supposedly tied to. That this is something else entirely different. Right, so... This is completely wide open what they're going to do. Uh, I don't think this rules out a possibility of the Falcon and Winter Soldier returning to Disney+. Plus. Yeah. I think that, if anything, you might see the Winter Soldier and Falcon because I th- think that you might see Agent Torres become the Falcon. I would imagine this might be, hopefully, fingers crossed, the return of, dealing with the, both the return of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the reemergence of HYDRA. I would hope so, too. Because is, is Cap is so seminal and tied with those two organizations that it's like, you know, uh, air and water. Yeah. They're like, they're, they're integral to that that character. Yeah, I could definitely see that happen. I don't know how much Sam Wilson would be a part of it, though. I, I think it's amazing that he's going to get his own movie. I'm super- Oh, absolutely. Uh, Tom Holland's got to be sweating a little bit, though. Yeah. We'll say everyone has, if you haven't, look up the clip. There's a clip from, I don't know, a couple of years ago at a comic convention where Tom Holland pokes fun. You know, uh, Anthony Mackie says, oh, yeah, I got to see that movie. I haven't seen that movie yet. I don't remember if it was Far From Home or Homecoming. But Tom Holland makes the quip, oh, I, yeah, I still got to see the Falcon. Oh, wait, there isn't a Falcon movie yet. Yes. Now there is, kind of. Kind of, because now as the show ended, Captain America and the Winter Soldier definitely set that stage up for Captain America 4. And now the question is, what's the story going to be about? I know the Serpent Society has been heavily rumored. If you read the comics, you understand why. I don't know exactly where they're going to go, but I am here for it. And, you know, honestly, I need a little time off to just digest and let's see where the rest of the MCU shakes up. Yeah, and and Anthony Mackie really doesn't know anything about it because he did an interview with Entertainment Weekly that came out Tuesday. uh, And he responded to the news uh, that their Marvel is working on a fourth Captain America film, saying, quote, I literally found out yesterday in the grocery store. The checkout guy named Dwayne, a cool cat, he's like, yo, man, is this real? And he holds up a cell phone. I'm like, I haven't heard a thing. That's what I love about working for Marvel. They call you. They're like, come to L.A. We want to tell you what's going on. So I'm excited to see what happens, but I haven't heard a thing. So don't ask Anthony Mackie. He has no idea. Supposedly. Right. So you know what? And let it happen, too. I mean, that's the one thing about it, that we have been very fortunate that Falcon Winter Soldier has definitely gotten us excited about the next generation of the MCU, that it's carried on the torch WandaVision set up, and we do know that the phase now without the Avengers, as we know, is going to be okay. Sam Wilson is going to be our Captain America for the next phase. I'm on board with it. He definitely, we've had his origin story here. Yeah. And that's what else the show was supposed to set up. I don't know. But they did an amazing job doing it. Anthony Mackie crushed it in this role. 
and prove that he's going to be fantastic in the role of Captain America moving forward. I am here for it. Pad, any final thoughts on the show? Great series. Thus far, my favorite one, although we'll see when time plays out. You never know. Uh, but no, I've thoroughly enjoyed the hell out of the entire series. I hope we get a second season because I would like to see more happen with these two characters specifically. I do too. I think that this show definitely set the groundwork that this is not the end of the story between Sam and Bucky. No. That we might see Sebastian Stan appear in Captain America 4, but... Sam Wilson is going to be the lead for it, and I am here for it as well. That I thought Anthony Mackie and him played it very, very well together. The comedic timing was there. The action sequences were there. It was everything we were expecting and more. The one thing that I took away from this show as well, too, is the Marvel Disney writers involved really took their time to empathize and sympathize with Baron Zemo and the U.S. agent. Yeah. Never thought I'd see that coming here. But they did. Daniel Brule turned out to not only be a dancing phenom, oh my god, but such a charismatic villain, yeah, that you couldn't help but find yourself rooting for him at times. It was so weird. Like uh-huh. I, like I have read Captain America. I've read Avengers. Zemo is one of the worst people on the planet, mm-hmm. and yet I found myself cheering for him in the show. And then we'll flip the coin to John Walker. Not my favorite Avenger. Oh, listen, they heard how much you love him, and they're like, we got to feature that guy prominently. Oh, I'm sure. You know, as scary as I fully see him get his own show, too. Uh-oh. At some point. Uh-oh. I mean, he's had iterations. But I will say this. Wyatt Russell made the character very interesting. Yeah. He did not make him as bland as he's been written in the no, comics. And no. I'm sorry. If you haven't read him, like I say, he's a steroided-out Guy Gardner that just is completely off the deep end in his own world. Nothing else can really be said about that. The U.S. agent is one of the worst in all of comics. I don't even understand why he's still around and got popularity. I'll be honest. I am not a fan. If you are, hey, great. Do you. Be happy. Me? Nah. I ain't for I'm not here for it. But this show actually made me get invested in the character, which goes to show how great Wyatt Russell was in the role. So definitely want to put him over. Everybody on the show did an amazing job. I And like I said, I cannot wait to see the next phase of Captain America with Sam Wilson at the head. Bring it on. I am here for that. If you haven't seen it yet, Disney Plus is the place to be. All six episodes are out right now. And if you even want more Captain America and the Winter Soldier talk, definitely keep an ear out for the Council of Nerd episode on 30 and Nerdy this week, where it's myself, Rich from 3FN, our guy Dre Driven, JT from the East Coast Avengers, and Tyler Mack talking all things Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And the future of the MCU. All that and so much more, so definitely swing on for that. But let us have that discussion with the ODPH panel, shall we? Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What was your thoughts about the finale and the series itself? Captain America and Winter Soldier. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial. Or, well, your phone, your watch, or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds. Tyler Mack, and I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 Nerdy Podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andnerdypod and check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. <laughs> 
Cheers to you, nerds. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And time to recap UFC 261. Yeah. Big fight night going down in Jacksonville this weekend in front of a packed house. Mm-hmm. And, man, did they ever get their money's worth. Jake Paul versus Daniel Cormier. Book it now. Oh, uh, screw that guy. Uh-huh. Jake Paul, I'm not definitely not a fan of him. And Daniel Cormier will eat you alive if you ever step in the octagon. He ain't going to box you. He'll fight you in the so octagon. That's, that's an appetizer. I can't that's wait. Not, that's not a full course meal. That's an appetizer. I can't for, wait for to Cormier. See, that's an appetizer. I can't wait to see that. And they gave him way too much time on TV. Like they shouldn't even shown him. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, because it. But you know, at least a good thing is it didn't take away from the fights. True. The entire main card was out of control, and the prelims were just as good too. It was a fun night of fights. We definitely had a, a great time on twitch.tv slash 67podcast for it. But let us break down the main card, shall we, Pat? Yeah, so opening up on the main card, you had the light heavyweight matchup between Anthony Smith and Jimmy Crute. Uh, and Anthony Smith defeated Jimmy Crute via TKO, Dr. Stoppage. But it's a little more to it than that, Ken. Yeah. So this fight card was not for the squeamish. No. By any means. And this fight opened up Anthony Smith was in search of a much-needed win. He had been a title contender at one point. He'd been on a very bad skid, and those skids, when he lost, were bad losses. He did win his last one, so he's facing Jimmy Crute, who's an up-and-comer in the light heavyweight division. And during the first round of this fight, uh, Smith was peppering him with the jab. Sure. Keeping him at bay. Like he Smith looked amazing in the first round. And then they kind of did a little wrestling to the ground, and then they came up, and Smith started kicking... With leg kicks. Mm-hmm. And at one point, you see Smith kick right in the knee joint area. And you saw the leg shift on Crute. Yep. And then you saw the ankle buckle. And it was clear as day that he broke something. Mm-hmm. He could not stand on his leg. You saw, and, and like I said, it's not for the squeamish. It looked like his bone had shifted out by his knee and it looked like his ankle bone had completely broke. So as much as he was trying to survive the fight, he went back to his corner. He was trying to hide it as well as he could from the doctors. Fortunately, the doctors had saw what happened. They, they stood him up. Yep. They said, walk towards me. He did. And they said, walk back. And then you saw the bone pop out, uh, which I'm not in saying great. They saw the bone pop out, but right. they were great because they stopped him from continuing the fight. Yeah. Smith wins via TKO. He immediately ran over. And was saying, hey, this is nothing to be shame about. If as soon as you're healthy, I'll be more than happy to run it back with yeah, you. Yeah. And he understands. I mean, it's one thing about the fight game. It is not friendly sometimes. Oh, yeah. It is, it is a very cold sport that you do get hurt here. Oh, yeah. It's one of the downsides, I guess you could say, of the sport where mm-hmm. you can train for weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, in any climate, any altitude, and any method you want just for it to, you know, however long it is, five seconds, 10 seconds, or in this case, in at the end of the first round to go, you're done. You know, there's a, there's an injury. It's just one of those freak things. Yeah, it's just it's an unfortunate incident. Crew would definitely be back. Yeah. And then we have to see what happens with him and Smith from there. I mean, I, I don't doubt them running into this back, depending where they are in division rankings at the time. Yeah. Because Smith, like I said, has already been to the top, and he's got to work his way back up. So he does have the two wins because, I mean, unfortunately this is a win. Yep. That and nobody wants to have no. awarded to him, no. but he does. He's now on a two fight win streak, so have to see who the UFC throws at him next. And with definitely speedy and healthy recovery wishes going out to Crute. Yep, 
Next up, though. Next up was the middleweight uh, matchup between Chris Weidman and Uriah Hall. And if the first match made those who were squeamish uh, step towards the door, this one made them full bolt sprint out of said door. Yep. Uh, because uh, 17 seconds into the first round uh, was when this fight ended. It was a TKO uh, with Uriah Hall defeating Chris Weidman via a leg injury that to those of us who have watched the UFC for a few years, uh, eight of them to be specific, all, almost eight, seven and a half, uh, looked very familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so they're f- going in the fight. Weidman went to throw a leg kick. Stop me if you've heard this before. Uh, Uriah Hall leg checked him, and probably in the same damn identical way, or break spot and the way it broke and everything else, although this, this time it didn't wrap around the leg like Silva's did. Uh, Chris Weidman broke his leg, leg kicking uh, Uriah Hall. And for those of you who go, why do I, why do you, Pad, why do you keep bringing up, you know, Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman? Well, because for those of you who don't know, uh, on December 28th, 2013, uh, a young Chris Weidman was going up against Anderson Silva, who to that point, I don't think had lost in a hot minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fight was over one minute and 16 seconds into the second round because Anderson Silva went to throw a leg kick against Chris Weidman who checked his leg and broke Anderson Silva's leg. That was on the rematch, yeah. So that was yeah. the immediate rematch that they had, and Silva broke his leg. This was deja vu in the worst possible way. Yeah. Hall checked that leg kick and just Weidman. And the one thing we have to remember, too, is Weidman has, is not exactly a spring chicken. No. And I don't mean this in a knock to him. He's one of my favorite fighters. Like I say, if Weidman is fighting on a, on a holiday, it's a wrap. He's winning. It doesn't matter who he's against. Currently 36 years old. He turns 37 in June. Yeah, so once you're at that stage and you've gone through battles like he has, mm-hmm. there's a little wear and tear. The body starts breaking down. It's it not is as what it is. firm as things used to be. Yeah. So, unfortunately, his leg completely snapped. Oh, yeah. And, and go, if you're real brave and real ballsy, go to his Instagram. He's posted the x-rays of what his leg looked like before and what it looked like after the surgery. It's yeah. it's nasty. Yeah, they immediately rushed the ring to got him on a stretcher, got him out. Kudos yeah. to the production team. They didn't show him, you know, getting stretchered out and that whole nine yards. Ugh. Yeah, they did a lot better job of taking care of him than in Crute, in my opinion, because the one thing that they did with Crute, yeah. they didn't get him a stool. Yeah. So he kept trying to walk around. It's like, And I kept screaming on the live feed. I'm like, get him a stool and sit his ass down. Well, I mean, the same thing happened with John when he had a broken toe. Yeah. And, and, and it was only until uh, Joe Rogan noticed it, and Joe was like, uh, can we get him a stool? Yeah. So that being said, they took real good care of Weidman. They got him to the hospital immediately. Yeah. He went into yeah. surgery that night. So, yeah. And from all signs that we're hearing back, that he is in good condition. That's good. So... Yeah, so speedy and healthy recovery wishes to him as well. Yeah. Uriah Hall moves on, which I... Kudos to Hall, though. He said, I, I believe he told Weidman, like, listen, as soon as you're good, we'll run this. Yeah, game. I mean, those. It, there's an unwritten code in the MMA that the fighters know, okay, this happens. If I may quote the uh, wrestling terminology from Rich from 3FN, this is not ballet. Yeah. So they know the risk that when they step into the cage, what could happen. Mm-hmm. This is an unfortunate way to win. Nobody's happy about this. Nobody's no. celebrating no. this. No. Uriah Hall is very upset about it, and he's a very emotional fighter. And he and I fully believe when he said, "If Chris wants to run this back, I will run this back. I don't care what ranking we're at." I oh will, yeah, I will, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I know somebody brought it up to me today as I was out. You know, ran into somebody I know, and like, oh my, and they know I watch UFC. They go, "Oh my God, did you did you hear about the uh, see the fighter got in UFC fighter got injured over the weekend?" I go, "Yeah, I saw it. I didn't, so I didn't want to see it again." They go, again, what do you mean? I go, long story short, you know, he was in the opposite position seven, eight years ago when it broke. I said, I didn't want to see that injury then. Said to myself, I don't want to see this injury ever again. 
Here we're in eight years later, and the damn thing happened again. Yeah, it was absolutely wild. Nastiest leg injury I've ever seen. Wild to see in person. I, I have to say, like, just watching it on the feed, we were, like, absolutely just horrified. Yeah. So we switch from the bad of the fight card to some really good fights. The bonkers stuff. Let's go. So your next fight was in the women's flyweight division for the championship, where champion Valentina Shevchenko was defending her belt against Jessica Andrade. Uh, and Shevchenko retained her belt in dominating fashion, uh, winning via TKO, uh, specifically elbows, uh, three minutes and 19 seconds into the second round. Shevchenko is the greatest women's fighter not named the man in Unius. Uh-huh. Her skill level is just on point. And like we said on the previous show, Andrade had one chance, and that was to make it into a grappling match. She didn't get a chance to even do that. Shevchenko just took over and imposed her will, and it's just... I don't know who's out there at flyweight that's going to take the belt from her right, right. now. It's one of those situations when you have a dominant champion and you're looking at the rest of the top ten and going, who's next? And you can't say with confidence a name. It's not to say that there isn't great fighters in those weight classes, but we have to be realistic about this. There isn't a name that is screaming, okay, I see this as being a worthy contender. Shevchenko is just that good, and this is a compliment to her, that you can step in that cage with anybody and you're the clear odds-on favorite. The only person she isn't against is Nunez. Right. And they're not going to do another Nunez-Shevchenko right. 3. Dana, quote, doesn't have, really doesn't have a much of an uh, urge to do that fight. I mean, it's happened twice already. It's happened twice, and Nunez has won clearly both times. So it's, it's one of those situations where Shevchenko might just be taking on everybody that they throw at her, but at least it'll become one of those situations that you'll have to be watching to see who beats her. And like I say, I'm not rooting against her in any way, right, shape, or form, but right. when you have a champion that that's dominant, you have to wait and see who's going to rise to the occasion and really shake things up. So that can be either for good drama or bad drama, depending on how you feel about that. For me, I like seeing champions that are that dominant. Like I said, I've always been a Demetrius Johnson fan. I know he just got recently knocked out over and won. Right. But I would love watching a fight because he is just at skill level and he's just at technique is just on point and nobody else is coming near him. So once you can have something like that happen, it's a whole different ballgame. So Shevchenko is going to be stuck in those positions where I don't know who's going to be stepping up or stepping down, pending weight classes to fight her, but it's going to be interesting to watch. Well, and I know the one name that I saw get thrown out on Twitter, of course this was pending how this next fight went, was uh, Zhang Weili. Yeah, having a matchup between them, but yeah, that might not be happening now. Uh, we'll break it down after we talk about this fight. Yeah, so the co-main event uh, fight was for the Women's Strawweight Championship where Zhang Weili was defending her belt against uh, Rose Namajunas. And Rose Namajunas defeated uh, Zhang Weili with, via a head, ki- uh, head kick uh, one minute and 18 seconds into the first round to become your and new Women's Strawweight Champion. Can I pull my best DC? Go for it. Thug Rose! Thug Rose! <laughs> My God. Rose Namajunas is one of the most popular fighters in all of MMA. Uh, yeah. All heart. Every time she goes in the cage. Also when, very talented. Did you see the video of her playing piano? Yeah. She, she is just awesome. Uh, and take nothing away from Zhang. No. This was a fight we all had circled on our calendars. We all were very excited that this fight was finally happening. Mm-hmm. And Zhang is just was a very dominant strawweight champion. Like yeah. even, like when she'd go in the cage performance, I know she just only won the belts, but she also has had like fight of the year candidates oh, yeah. against Jerzy yeah. Czech. So you have to keep that in mind when we talk about her. So that all being said, we knew that Rose had to come out and really do something special. 
and she did. Oh, yeah. Striking looked on point. There wasn't any question about, like, you know, was she ready for this fight? Was she ready for the big moment? This was one that she stepped up and just absolutely looked phenomenal. No, yeah, she did. And and, uh, maybe I should have taken uh, Kamaru Usman a little more seriously because he did post a video of he was just hanging out in Rose's hotel room just to, like, inspiration or whatever it was. And she was in the middle of, like, punching gloves with her coach. And she's just beating the holy hell out of this coach wearing the, the punching gloves. Yeah. And the camera, you know, Usman's not holding the camera, but, like, someone, somebody of his camp or Rose's camp is, like, holding the camera, goes to him. He goes, he says what he says, shows Rose punching the gloves a couple times, and she's just well on the fucking things. Mm-hmm. And the camera goes back to Usman, and he goes, somebody's about to get dropped. Yeah. Uh, Should have listened to him a little more. Yeah, absolutely. No, Rose is no joke. And like I say, it'll be very interesting to see who she faces next at, at Strawweight because I don't think you can run your J-check back against no. her. I I mean, they've already fought. I mean, you take a look at Rose's track record. I mean, they've already fought a couple times, and Rose has been on the winning side each time. Yeah. So that being said, where do you go with her? Well, you're going to have to see in the Strawweight division. I mean, there are some talented fighters that could step up and fight Rose. And then for Zhang... I'm not unopposed to that idea about her fighting Shevchenko. Yeah. I'm really not. Could happen. No, I mean, Zhang has, only, has what, a professional record of, what, 21-2? and two? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so to see her step up and really take that challenge on, I think that would be amazing for her to do. 21-2. and 21-2. So I was right about that. Yeah. This is what happens when you don't look at a computer. But that being said, like I say, it's a fight to make. It's a name against Shevchenko. And if Shevchenko is cleaning out the division – I can see Zhang stepping up and, and really giving her a challenge for it. Yeah. I'd love to see that fight. So maybe the UFC is going to make that. I think they should. Absolutely. And then, I mean, you go from there after that. But for the strawweight and flyweight divisions, they both represent it very well for women's MMA and yeah. MMA in general. Yeah. But, man, we got to switch gears to the main event. Yeah, so this was uh, for the welterweight championship with Kamaru Usman defending his belt against Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. Uh, and this one ended one minute and two seconds into the second round with Kamaru Usman uh, knocking out Jorge Masvidal via a punch. Not just a punch. This was a Superman hitting doomsday punch. Fucking Falcon punch. Yo. Super Smash Brothers fans know what I'm talking about. This was absolutely insane. Kamaru Usman is on a whole different level, and ain't nobody near him. The man is freakishly possessed in skill. And he knew after the criticism over the last fight, and rightfully so. Oh, yeah. The last fight they had was boring. It was a snooze fest. Literally, I fell asleep a couple times. Well, that's the one thing. Usman just grappled the entire time, which is not a bad game plan. GSP technique. Yeah, but it was grappler versus striker, and it was boring. This was a fight in front of a full arena in Jacksonville. And there was members and family and friends. And, like, this was the moment that he needed to make a statement to say, I'm the best uh-huh. welterweight in the world. I'm the best pound-for-pound guy today. And he did it because he took Masvidal out at his own game. It was absolutely wild to see. And if you're not sold on Usman being the pound-for-pound guy right now, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, 20 professional matches now, 19 wins. One loss. He's got nine wins by knockout, one by submission, nine by decision. His one and only loss is to a gentleman uh, by the name of Jose uh, Caceres, who uh, beat 
uh, him via a rear naked choke. Uh, and that was way back in May 24th of 2013 in a uh, another federation not named UFC. Yeah, so a whole different ball of wax there. I don't even count that as uh, the Usman we see today. Usman with Nganu and Justin Kechi and the camp they have there with Rose too. Yeah, yeah. They're making that might be the premier camp in MMA right now. Yeah, at this point, it's hard to argue. You can't say no to it. You can't. I mean, you can try, just I don't recommend it. You can try, but now we go to what? where does everybody go from here? A couple of different directions, I think. Now, Usman is slated to fight Colby Covington again mm-hmm. at some point. Colby reemerged in whatever gimmick he was trying to be Saturday night. Yeah, I saw him chirping. Yeah, and that's the only thing he does is chirp. But Usman broke his jaw last time. Mm-hmm. You can chirp a real good game there, Colby, but back it up. But what's going to happen now? That if Usman broke your jaw last time, what's he going to do for an encore? That's break an arm. I don't know. I don't. I'm scared to think what's going to happen. I'm really scared to think what's going to happen. So there's that fight that's possible. I know that Daniel Cormier, I believe of all people, was saying that if Nate Diaz beats Leon Edwards in a couple weeks here, mm-hmm. he doesn't doubt that Diaz gets bumped up and replaces see. Covington. I could see it. I could see I'd it. Be down for it. I'm. I'm here for it. I would be definitely shelling out some pay-per-view money for that. It's going to be an interesting challenge for Usman and to see if Nate Diaz. I mean, you know one thing, Diaz will scrap. Uh-huh. So and He'll get in your head a little bit. Yeah. To so, what degree is up to you, the fighter, but he'll, he'll get in your head. I would love to see that challenge. I think that would be another great one to make. I know that Conor McGregor was chirping at Usman. Look, focus on Daniel Poirier, or Dustin Poirier, rather. Yeah. I know Coach is going to hear this, and I know we'll get some angry text messages, but let's be honest. Connor, I don't think you want any part of Usman. No. Fuck no. <laughs> fuck no. In any way, shape, or form. No. I am telling you this right now. I don't think a lot of fighters want any part of him right now. Connor's good. Usman's a whole different level. He, he is the guy right now. I don't think there's any question that Usman is not the premier fighter in MMA, period, right now. I'm sorry, there just isn't. So those next two fights are pretty much made up. Either it's going to be Covington or it's going to be the Nate Diaz. If Leon Edwards wins too, you can't deny him either. No. Just the fight trash talk beforehand is not going to be exciting. Like, Edwards is one of those fighters that technically he's very sound, but is he somebody that's going to be generating a lot of headlines like that? Not really. Yeah. But but I tell you what, if he wins, though, against Diaz, you got to give him that title shot. You have to. You, you cannot deny him any longer. It's one of those, like, Aljamain Sterling's issues. Right, right. That you win for so long, like, you have to get the shot no matter what. So he's going to have a tough task, though, ahead with Diaz. To flip the coin to Masvidal, I am very interested to see where he goes from here because this was his 50th professional fight. Oh, yeah, that's true. So to get back into the title contendership, which he claims he wants to do, claims is the dream, which I'm not dismissing him. At all. I mean, everybody knows my favorite fighter is Michael Bisbing and how many ups and downs did he have in his career until he won the belt. Oh, yeah. It's not all the realm of thought to think it, but I also say at this stage, there's no way they're going to let him fight Usman for a third time. It's I, I'm sorry, it's not no, going to happen. No, no. He's been beaten twice. God, no. So they're not going to do that fight. What do I think he should do? Well, there was a gentleman in the audience on UFC 261 mm-hmm. that I was surprised to see wasn't was in attendance because usually he's in Stockton. This is true. Or Vegas. This is true. And that is the GOAT, 
Nick Diaz. Uh, it's been a minute since we've seen him. It's been a minute. I mean, obviously, he'd been on uh, suspension for yep. uh, marijuana, and then yep. obviously things have cleared up in the world. So, uh, But he has been reinstated for a while. Yep. So Always it's, looking for a big fight. He's always looking for a big fight, and the one thing you know about Nick is he is one of those fighters that is an enigma. Mm-hmm. That you don't know what is going on in his head, but I tell you what, you get him in a cage, and he will perform. Yeah, he will. And he's box office. So... Why not have Masvidal versus Diaz? Give me that. I'm here. <laughs> Put that BMF title on the on the line because if you're going to be champion, you need to defend that. Yep. You can't just come around with your own belt and never defend it. I'm sorry. Like, I just don't get that aspect. So, I think that's a fight you can do there. Depending on what you want to do with Connor, that could be another fight because yeah. Masvidal is still going to draw numbers. He's still street Jesus. He's still... Oh, yeah. The the mystique has been knocked down a little bit because Usman knocked him out. Yeah, but I mean that that Askren highlight is going to help a lot. Yeah, I mean that still is going to carry him through for a lot more fights, and I think that you can have him be a marquee guy. Oh yeah, like special attraction fights. You can literally, definitely still literally do that. run the TV promo on the Askren knockout, and everyone's going to go, "Oh, that guy, yeah, I'm in." Yeah, so you have that option with him. Like I don't know if he's going to make another title run. I just Probably think that not. it's not unheard of, but I think the 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 odds are against him. If anybody can do it, it's Masvidal. I'm so not. He's playing against Father Time. He is, and uh, being on that that age with the wear and tear his body's gone through, I mean, it is what it is. This is the first time he's been knocked out, and he was clean knocked out with this one too. It was one of the scariest right hands I've ever seen thrown. Yeah, currently, 36 years old, turns 37 in November. Yeah, so. It's not out of the realm of thought to make a run, but I think at this stage, there's just, the 170 division is too stacked. I don't see him cutting down to 155. That's a whole different ball of wax there, too. Oh, yeah. So I think for him, it does make sense to do a marquee fight. And just maybe that's how he rides out into the sunset. Yeah. No shame in it either. Because, I mean, if he can make the run and get back to the title shot, sure. If Usman's still champion, I mean... Just go out on good terms. Just don't stick around past your prime when it's painful to watch you lose yeah it's the only thing i ask yeah i mean this one was a tough loss so I, like i said i'm not saying he's he's completely done i don't want right to right in. but yeah no I'm, I'm talking like a chuck liddell type of situation yeah. don't don't do that no i i don't think he i you know what i think he's smart enough he wouldn't do that i i really do i don't think he's gonna stick around till you get chuck tito for whatever it was because i didn't even bother uh. paying attention to that fight but a lot of headlines talking about UFC 261. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What was your thoughts about the UFC's return to Jacksonville? And where do you think the future goes from the title winners of that card? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. My name is Nicholas Haskins, and I'd like a moment of your time to tell you about the fifth annual live stream for The Cure. To do that, I brought along two people whom I couldn't do this event without. Gerald Morris and Dan Brennick. Over the past four years, the live stream for The Cure has raised over $30,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. That contribution is helping to fund research into cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This year, we're aiming for our biggest goal yet as we try to raise $15,000 in 50 hours on the air. Tune in May 19th through the 23rd as we're joined live by podcasters and content creators from around the world. With your help, we can continue the fight for a future immune to cancer. Together, we can make a difference.
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the OTPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one-shots? Got a couple things. Going to start with sports uh, because I saw this article today and I went, holy shit, this needs to happen at the professional level. Uh, so everyone familiar with baseball is familiar with uh, Major League Baseball has been tweaking around with the extra innings rule. Mm-hmm. That no longer is it just, oh, hey, yeah, you keep playing until there's a winner. You know, uh, if the home team scores, it's you know game over. If the uh, away team scores first, the home team has a chance to answer. Uh, they've been tooling around with it. Make, you know, oh, whoever the previous batter was starts out on second. You know, some people are fans of it. Some people, myself included, aren't the biggest fans of it. This idea, though, uh, that is starting down in the Pioneer League, uh, which is an independent uh, baseball league, which is an official MLB partner league. Uh, I am all for this goddamn idea uh, because according to an article on ESPN.com, uh, quote, on Tuesday, the league announced that it will, uh, the league being uh, the Pioneer League, uh, it will implement a first-of-its-kind knockout rule that will resolve games tied after nine innings with a sudden-death home run derby. Let's go. Oh, my God, I love this idea. Uh, so their press release said, quote, under the rule, each team designates a hitter who receives five pitches with the game determined by the most home runs hit. Uh, if still tied after the first knockout round, another hitter is selected for a sudden death home run faceoff until a winner is declared. Oh my God, I love this idea. It's fantastic. I Listen, I am a big proponent and it is very well uh, documented on the show. I love the home run derby. I personally think they that, listen, it ain't for any bragging rights. You get a trophy that sits in your house the rest of your life. A bunch of money gets donated to the Boys and Girls Club and other various organizations. I have been saying for years, listen, if you're going to make it for charity, go big, go all out. Give them metal bats and make every home run count for a certain dollar amount. Once you get to that final you know, 30 seconds or 60 seconds or whatever it is, up the dollar amount. I love this idea. I would be a huge proponent if Major League Baseball decided to do it. That said, I don't see them doing it, but I would love it. No, they're not going to do it. But, I mean, it's the one argument we have when you get to extra innings. It's just this day and age, everybody's – it's sad to say, but everybody's become really disposable with time. Mm-hmm. That, okay, well, I only got nine innings. Okay, it was not done by now. I don't care. I'm out. Like, yeah. It, you know, it used to be the, the drama of going extra innings and oh, yeah. see what happens. Oh, so. yeah, which I get at first there's a little bit of like, oh, who's going to win? But then you get the games that go 17, 18, 19 innings, and it's like, holy shit, just end. Yeah, it just it wears. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, the one okay, problem. It does, it. especially when it's like a Yankees-Red Sox game, and it's like four hours at the end of nine innings. Yeah. And then you're just like, oh, shit, please just end. Yeah, I remember that hot summer night with Derek oh, Cheater running to the stands. Yeah, that one went oh. to – that one started at 7.05 – didn't finish until eleven o'clock, eleven thirty. It was eleven thirty. It was it was late. I oh stayed up watching the whole thing. Oh, I did too. And I stayed heat yeah. wave in the summer. Oh yeah. Uh, switching over to some entertainment news. We got we got some news breaking as we record for once. Oh okay, break it down. Yeah. So this is according to an exclusive report from the folks over at Variety. It appears okay. that the Marvel Disney Plus series Ironheart has found its writer. Oh okay. So uh, so the writer is a woman by the name of Chinaka Hodge. Uh, she is a screenwriter, poet, playwright, and educator. Uh, according to the article, her past television writing credits include the Apple reboot of Amazing Stories, as well as the TNT series adaptation of Snowpiercer, starring David Diggs. Uh, she has published two books of poetry to date, and she has uh, two plays, uh, which have been done. And she is also a founding mem- member of the hip-hop collective The Get Back, along with Diggs and others. Uh, from what I've been reading online, because some of this is still breaking out, uh, it looks like the writer's room will start will open in May, and that is it is going to be a six-episode series. Okay, I'm on board. 
I, I'm really excited to see about this series when it comes. Me too. Uh, this next one I did not tell you about, and I'm going to get your genuine reaction to this. Okay. Uh, so uh, this is uh, from an article called uh, from uh, Decider.com, uh, which the headline reads, HBO Max is focused on winning weekends, and its big-budget feature film slate is leading the way. Uh, an article, I'll read part of the article, it says, quote, With consumers ready to get out of their living rooms this summer and top streamer Netflix's growth already slowing considerably, you could imagine Warner's Media CEO Jason Kalar uh, tamping, uh, temp- tamping expectations for the company's nearly year-old HBO Max. Well, he's not doing that. Quote, I think that the ceiling for streaming is much higher uh, than people are talking about today. If you look, this was, uh, he said last week in an interview on Bloomberg TV, quote, uh, if you look at the number of people that are on the planet and the fact that everyone loves to be moved through story, I think the ceiling is a lot higher than several hundred million paying subscribers. Uh, the optimism is due in fa- to several factors converging on in WarnerMedia and HBO Max's favor. Uh, so they list a whole bunch of things. So like HBO Max is on, the HBO Max app is on every major TV platform. So you got that going. Uh, streaming works best at a global scale, and HBO Max will add 60 markets this year. Uh, HBO Max looks to win a lot of weekends in 2021 with franchises such like Space Jam, A New Legacy, The Suicide Squad, Dune, and The Matrix 4. Uh, HBO Max is developing a lot of event programming outside of feature films, including the recently taped Friends reunion special, several spirit spin-off, spinoffs of film franchises, and... Uh, it was announced earlier today, Warner Media and the NHL announced uh, today that they're going to have pro hockey and that uh, Turner's uh, Broadcasting is getting the rights to the Stanley Cup. Uh, that's leaving NBC. Uh, and then also there will be a cheaper ad-supported tier of HBO Max launching this fall. But uh, the plan appears to be working, at least in some sense, with, the like you said, the big action movies uh, being released on HBO Max as well as in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is according to a Warner Media exec who told the author of this article earlier this week. He listed the top. This person listed the executive listed the top three uh, movie releases that have been on HBO Max as of right now. What do you think they are? No particular order. Okay, no particular order. Mm-hmm. Top three. Yep. Godzilla Kong. Okay. Are you, you ca- are you counting the Snyder cut? Sure. Okay, then I will. If it's a if it's a movie and it's releasing on HBO Max, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to say because I would otherwise I would add Mortal Kombat, but I don't know if they added it to the list in time since that just came out this week. Number one, I will say is Godzilla vs Kong. Okay. Number two, I will say is Wonder Woman eighty four. Mm-hmm. Number three, I'll say is Snyder Cut. Uh, you got two out of three. Uh, so the, the, in no particular order, uh, the Warner Media exec told the author uh, this week that, DC, quote, DC's Wonder Woman 1984, monster mashup Godzilla vs. King Kong, and video game adaptation Mortal Kombat have been the three biggest opening weekend movies since HBO Max launched nearly a year ago. Okay, well, Mortal Kombat, I, was, I just wasn't sure if it got added yeah. you know, for, the, for this article, but I, I fully believe that was in there, so... Yeah, so a little surprising, you know, especially given, and I know vocal minority and this, that, but I would have figured the Snyder Cut would have had a bigger uh, viewership than Mortal Kombat. Yes and no. I I will say, I want to word this correctly. Sure. There's a certain fan base that tuned in for Mortal Kombat mm-hmm. that would not watch the Snyder Cut. There is a lot more people in the video games 
than there were interested in the Snyder Cut, in True. my opinion. True. So I could see them coming in to just see what's going on here. I am surprised, unless depending if you got the numbers there with how many Mortal Kombat did compared to the Snyder Cut, of the big difference. Because we know the Snyder Cut did generate big numbers. But I will say there's just how you want to talk about popularity. Yeah. I think there's also a lot of people that were turned off by the Snyder Cut. Could be. And the four-hour mark is not something that was a selling point unless you were all invested as either a DC fan or a DC hater. Right. But I think that people were just not as in tune for to see that. But Mortal Kombat, because it's new, it was brutal as all hell. I mean, I did go see it in the theaters. Mm-hmm. It was everything I wanted it to be. It was an awful script. Yeah. And it was all over the place violent. Sure. I got my money's worth. I was there. I'm good. Yeah. So I could understand people wanting to go see it because of how popular that video game was. Well, and especially like like you said, it's, it's been around a while. It's got a lot of fans. A lot of fans who I would, I am sure, would love to see a, a good adaptation of their favorite franchise. And I'm talking about the casuals who just play it for fun, to the folks who go to the tournaments and, and do the fighting tournaments, to the folks who play it religiously, and that's like the only game they've played over the last 40 years, and they know the lore in and out of every single character that's ever been in every single game, that they would love to see a faithful adaptation of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they got it. I mean, I mean, the story did change in certain parts. Sure. You know, not to go full spoiler, but it did change a lot, but you got what you paid for. Mm-hmm. You got to see the fatalities. You got to see the over-the-top violence. Story was better than Annihilation. I'll sell you that right now. That's, that's not a hard uh, bar to pass. Right. I thought it was better than the first one, too. But the script was still not great. It's a summer flick. Yeah, I mean, that's what you go for. So I could definitely understand that. And yeah. with the Snyder Cut, uh, that's very interesting. Yeah, no, no no numbers in the article, but then HBO Max has never released numbers about anything. So right. to be expected. <laughs> Neither does Netflix unless it breaks some kind of record. Yeah, and I don't think the Snyder Cut did. I think the Snyder Cut did enough for the people that were interested. But honestly, I think the general population is more MCU than yeah. than than DC for yeah. the movies. Yeah. So I yeah, I can understand that number. But Wonder Woman eighty four did great, but that oh, was yeah. Christmas Day. So yeah. I mean, what else are you yeah. expecting? Uh, switching over to some things coming out this week that I am very excited for. Uh, the first of which is a sequel to a franchise, or not a franchise, but like a, a series of games. Should have gotten more sequels than it has. As of yet, it's only had one release. The second game in this kind of release, whatever you want to call it, is coming out this week. Uh, that is April 30th for the Nintendo Switch, Pokemon Snap. I loved the absolute hell out of the original Pokemon Snap that came out way back when, in 1999, on the Nintendo 64. If you've ever played a Nintendo 64 and you were around then, odds are you have probably played Pokemon Snap. It was probably the hardest video game to rent from Blockbuster or whatever your local uh, establishment was that, like, you try to go there, all the copies are rented out. Borrow it from a friend, somebody else has got it. It was so simple in that it combined, because this was Pokemon when it was at an absolute fever pitch and they were banning the games and trading cards from schools. Like, I remember that very specifically that, like, I was hanging out with my friends at school. Oh, let's trade this card for that card. Let's they banned them. People were playing the game and battling each other and trading them on the games, the the uh, the Game Boy games, banned them. Like, i would never seen anything like this, and I don't think I've seen anything like this to this day where the, the school's gone. We have to ban these because it's distracting kids so much. That's crazy. It was nuts. But Pokemon Snap took the fun of all the Pokemon you loved from the original uh, generation, and you all you had to do was go around and take pictures. Mm-hmm. 
and you, the better picture you took. So if it's centered, they're doing a cool pose. If there's more than one uh, Pokemon in the picture, you got more points for it. And it was just this fun bunch of with a bunch of uh, Easter eggs and secrets planted into the game. Super fun that I'm very surprised, and maybe there's a reason behind it. I'll have to look into it. That it never got a sequel. But it's finally getting a sequel coming out uh, this week, April 30th, on the Nintendo Switch. Not sure who's going to be in it, but I'm sure, uh, I know my girlfriend has a Switch, and I know she's probably going to end up getting it, so I'll definitely check it out there. I'm super excited for it, though. I remember Pokemon Snap uh, took over for a while. Oh, yeah, like, it did. That was huge. It, like, it, remember... it was all anyone was talking about for a solid few months at school. Yeah, I mean, people were going outside doing it, yeah. too. I mean, that was, like, the big thing about it. Yeah, that was Pokemon Go. Oh, Go. Okay. That, that was Go. Kind of, the, kind of the same idea. It was, like, the same concept, same, though, right? Same, kind, same concept, yeah. But, no, I just remember back in school that, like, just I felt a little left out because I didn't have a Nintendo 64, but I had a friend close by who did. And just hearing everyone talk, well, did you know if you're on, because there's like a river course, a beach one, mountain, a volcano. So it's like all the elements and types in the in the Pokemon universe at that point. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, hey, did you know if you're going down the cave at this certain point, if you do this, this Pokemon will pop out? I'm just, it was just nuts how, much, how such a simple concept they built so much into it. Interesting, man. I'm, yeah. I can't wait to check this out. Yeah. Uh, also coming out this two, uh, not, not this two, yeah, this coming Tuesday, uh, on May the 4th, be with you, appropriately titled, the next Star Wars animated uh, iteration is coming out in the kind of sequel to Star Wars The Clone Wars in Star Wars The Bad Batch, uh, course created by Dave Filoni. Uh, not sure how many episodes are going to be in this, but you know I'm all for this. Uh, we're getting the masterful talents of D. Bradley Baker. Of course, if you look up his credits on IMDb, he's a boatload of voices he's probably also every animal voice from cartoons for like the last 15 20 years it's absolutely nuts he's going to be in it uh steven stanton uh who a lot of fans might know from his various voice work is returning as grand moff tarkin okay uh voicing him uh you've also got andrew cashino returning to voice uh, saw Gerrera. so we're getting more of his story fleshed out which is always awesome and also you've got a little bit of a crossover of sorts with the mandalorian Hmm. Uh, you have one Fennec Shand making an appearance, also known okay. as Ming-Na Wen. All right. Making an appearance in this, so super excited for this. Episodes will be releasing every Tuesday. Uh, not sure how long the episodes are going to be, because Clone Wars, they're typically about a half hour. I heard some rumors that this first episode might be 70 minutes, which would be absolutely bonkers. Uh, but, you know, I'm all sorts of excited for it. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about it in next week's show. Yeah, and, and uh, sticking with kind of the animated film, uh, Star Wars animated uh, stuff, Matt Lanter, voice of Anakin uh, in Star Wars The Clone Wars, uh, continuing to tease us, God damn it, uh, did an interview with Entertainment Weekly uh, for Jupiter's Legacy, that's the new show out on Netflix, uh, that he's quietly been working on some projects for Lucasfilm Animation. Uh, he said, quote, uh, there's some new Lucasfilm Animation going on. I've been a part of some things I can't talk about yet. You'll see Anakin again. I never quite put Anakin down, whether I'm whether I'm doing a video game or something new for Lucasfilm Animation. So, easy guess for this would be uh, Bad Batch, which is coming out. It's taking place after the end of The Clone Wars, so it's in between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. So it could be flashbacks into something that happened prior to this series, or it could be some entirely new unannounced series. Uh, Who's to say? All that I know is Matt Lanter does a very good Anakin Skywalker, uh, and I am all for him doing more projects. Yeah, this definitely sounds exciting to see what he's going to be up to. So Yeah. Uh, also, sticking with some st- more Star Wars news, super excited about this one. This broke right after we recorded this week. Uh, reportedly, the 
there is a port of an old Star Wars game, a very popular Star Wars game coming uh, from the folks over at Asper, who uh, that's A-S-P-Y-R, who most recently ported the Star Wars Republic Commando game from the Xbox and uh, PC over to Nintendo Switch and PlayStation for the first time. Playing that right now, loving the hell out of it. Harder than hell, but loving the hell out of it. Uh, They're reportedly in the process of uh, doing Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Okay. Which is a very popular game, loved by fans uh, very much. Came out in 2003 from the folks over at BioWare. It was a typical BioWare RPG, if you've ever played like Mass Effect or any of the stuff from BioWare. Uh, and it's a, and it's a re- apparently going to be a remake. And uh, according to an article from IGN, uh, quote, the news was revealed by Bloomberg reporter Jason Schreer uh, during an interview with Ben Hansen of MinMax. Uh, quote, this is public at this point. I've basically confirmed that Asper, which is the company that has ported a bunch of Knights of the Old Republic games, is working on the remake, Schreer said. Uh, Eurogamer subsequently uh, backed up that assertion, saying that it had also heard of Asper's involvement. Quote, while the developer is known for often releasing straight ports, work is currently underway to make the project of a, uh, more of a remake instead. Asper has recently released a number of Star Wars ports, most recently the PS4 and Switch version of Star Wars Republic Mando. Also got to give credit to my friend Jordan Mason over at Cinelinks, who kind of said this a couple months ago before anybody else. Right It's just getting further confirmed. I am super amped up for this. Love Knights of the Old Republic. Love Knights of the Old Republic, too. So any chance I get to play these games again, I'm all for. Yeah, definitely. I'm starting to hear a little bit more about that fandom. I'm, I'm not too familiar with the Knights, sure. uh, but you know, you, like I said, you are the Star Wars expert of the yeah. group, but I'm trying to get into a little bit of that. Yeah. One thing I know you are an expert of and fan of, that is the Fast and Furious films. <sighs> yeah. I'll say, if you haven't gotten enough Fast and Furious uh, action in your life, uh, Universal Pictures has announced Fast Fridays. Uh, that is a, a free event that will see a Fast and Furious movie air in theaters each week for eight weeks leading up to the release of F9. Uh, Fast Fridays begins uh, on Friday, April 30th, uh, when the very first Fast and Furious movie hits films in over 500 U.S. theaters. Uh, the event will eventually expand to over 900 theaters nationwide, and the Friday after April 30th will be Too Fast, Too Furious will hit the silver screen. After that, it'll be Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, so on and so forth. So, oh my God, yes please. You know, it's one thing to go see these movies in the in the big screen. So I will say... If you are a fan of Dominic Toretto and his motley crew of characters, go see it in the big screen. Yeah. Because where you see how this franchise started to where we are now and how we're eventually going to end in space. Mm-hmm. Drifting around Saturn. Drifting around Saturn. That's going to be the whole thing. He's going to be drifting around in his car just waving at the camera and then fades to black. That's how the series ends. It is truly mind-blowing to see that, one, we've gotten to this stage, two... They keep finding a way to amp up the stunts. Mm-hmm. Just when you think they can't top themselves, they do. Yeah. And The Rock being part of the franchise. And yeah. Are they showing Hobbs and Shaw during this? Uh, don't know. I will have to look that up. Okay. I, would, I would assume probably, though. All right, because I would assume so, too. And then, obviously, when Fast 9 comes out to the movie theaters, it's going to be the hardest ticket to get in town. Uh-huh. So you love it or hate it. It is worth watching on the big screen if you're going to go check it out. I will say that. I've seen them all on the big screen. Yeah. Uh, except Tokyo Drift. I did not see that on the big screen. That's fair. Yeah, I was not I was not a fan of the sequel. Not, too Fast, Too Furious did nothing for me. So, 
But it's still, like I say, go check it out if you're into this franchise. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, also, sticking with the Fast franchise, uh, if Jason Statham has his way, we will see more of his character uh, on the mainline Fast and Furious uh, films. Because, of course, those who might remember, his character was introduced in like a mid-credits, end-credits scene for Fast and Furious 6, uh, where he w- it was revealed he was the one who caused Han's car to blow up in uh, Tokyo Drift, and he's the one responsible behind it. Well, now, of course, we know that movies, Han's not dead. Well, <laughs> I'm sure we'll find out how the hell that happened uh, in Fast 9 when it, or F9 when it releases. Uh, but Statham's character uh, wants to make an appearance. Uh, he's saying, quote, they better bring me back because I need to put out that fire, uh, referring to him killing Han in the hashtag justice for Han, uh, he told Entertainment Weekly. Uh, so he goes, if he's got any, if Han's got any score to settle, it's with me. Statham, uh, Statham said, uh, they asked if he'd be willing to come back. Uh, he said, quote, I'm game. I love Justin Lin. He's a great director. It's a shame because when I joined the franchise all those years back, he went on to do something else. And all I did with Justin was a little tag at the end. I need to do a movie with him and I'd love to see all the fast crew, uh, Vin and everybody. They're all great people. I have a lot of affection for them close quote so if if uh, statham has his way we might get that on screen comeuppance between him and han well, i think it makes sense i mean obviously this franchise is still making money hand over fist so uh-huh you know why not yeah that, that's kind of my take on it yeah and then uh lastly for some news we did find out it was uh, revealed a couple weeks ago that russell crowe would be having a cameo appearance of sorts in the upcoming thor love and thunder movie didn't take long we already know who he's going to be playing in said film he was going to be playing Zeus. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. So that, that could get real interesting. Yeah, I wonder who they're recasting as Hercules. That's the one I'm kind of more mm, curious about. I don't know. Because he's had more ties to the MCU than yeah, Zeus. Yeah. But if, if Russell Crowe is, I mean, I mean, I could also see him pulling a swerve just to, yeah. to do it. Could be. Uh, switching over to some comic picks for the week. Uh, you got Action Comics, uh, issue number 1030 out this week. Detective Comics, issue number 1035 is out this week. Uh Darth Vader issue number 11, uh, where, uh, from what I've read, he's going to come face-to-face with Palpatine. So Lord knows that's going to get all sorts of bonkers. And then this last one, I'm not sure what this is, but I've, I'm going to pick it up because, I'm listen, it's Empire Strikes Back, and I'm a sucker for anything Empire Strikes Back. Uh, so this is titled Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, The 40th Anniversary Covers by Chris Sprouse, issue number one. Uh, the description reads, You've never seen Empire quite like this. To celebrate the 40th anniversary of one of the all-time great cinematic sequels, Marvel asked enthusiastic artist Chris Sprouse, uh, Black Panther, Thor, uh, to retell The Empire Strikes Back in a stunning series of variant covers. Month by month, across multiple Star Wars series, the film's unforgettable moments played out through Sprouse's exquisite artwork. Now the whole story of the resurgent Empire targeting the Rebel Alliance's icy base on Hoth and every momentous event that follows is collected in a single celebratory issue. Bounty hunters target Han Solo. Luke Skywalker seeks out Jedi Master Yoda. Feelings run high between Han and Leia. And as the battle begins for Skywalker's soul, will he, will his fear lead to anger, hate, and the dark side? Ooh. I have no idea what this is going to be, is, but I'm excited. I like Chris Prouse's artwork, so I'm definitely here for this. Yeah. All right, so going to my picks for comics, because if we are going to be talking comics, it's a big week, and I definitely want to give a shout-out to Valiant Comics, because Shadow Man number one is dropping April 28th, wherever you buy great comics. So Cullen Bunn and John Davis Hunt book that we reviewed here on 
uh, parlay points on odphpodcast.com is finally getting dropped. It is a fantastic read. If you haven't picked it up, you definitely need to swing over to your local comic shop and go check it out. And also, Valiant is teaming up with Geek Grind Coffee Company. Okay. To do two Shadowman coffee roasts. So the Spirit of Low, mm. Medium Roast, and the Dark Roast for Master Dark. Okay. Uh, this is something very cool. So if you want to go check it out, uh, Valiant Entertainment has uh, a little more information about that. and Or just go to geekgrindcoffee.com. Mm. So definitely swing on over, check those, get some coffee, get some new comics to check out as well. I know that uh, there's a lot of stuff that's hitting the shelves this week, so definitely pick it up. And like I say, I can't stress it enough, Valiant has got a bona fide winner on their hands with Shadow Man number one yeah. this week. So, also, keeping it uh, comic book related, to there was some big DC news okay. that was released that apparently we have a new Man of Steel yeah. coming. So, it has been announced that Clark Kent is going to be turning the mantle over to Jonathan Kent. For now. Yep. For now, in a new series that is going to be dropping in July, Superman, Son of Kal-El, written by one of our favorite writers, Tom Taylor, and drawn by John Timms. So this is going to be dropping, and it's going to be replacing the monthly title in July. So the first image is up. The cover looks very much like a modern throwback. I love it right now. Um, and it's Tom Taylor writing. I mean, yeah. that's that's all I needed to know about this, and I was like... Well, I know what I'm picking up, so we'll have to see how this all plays out when it drops in July. Yeah. Also, some more comic news. It was announced that there is a new Suicide Squad Black Label book coming out. Oh. And one that, you know, I'm surprised we haven't seen just yet. Okay. It is involving a certain team that does a lot of risky missions that basically they're not guaranteed to come home every time. Sure. And that is the Suicide Squad. And what is this book title, Pad? Get Joker. Oh, boy. So it's written by Brian Azarillo, who does amazing work. I mean, his Joker story, if you've never read that, is dark, brooding, and fantastic. Mm. And it's drawn by Alex Melov, who you know from Daredevil. Okay. So this should be just all over the place. And listen, if Amanda Waller is sending Tax Force X to go get the Joker. It's nothing good. This is going to be all over the damn place. So, uh... You need to keep an eye out for this when this book drops. And definitely, if this is going to be something to see if you're a Joker fan. Like, I'm just kind of looking at the story on IGN right now. Yeah. The images look all types of fantastic. So, definitely get down to your local comic shop. Ask them about it. It's going to be $6.99 for each issue. Uh, three issues that are slated is going to be uh, in the series. Uh, $6.99, but that is a black label price usually. So, when they're overstocked like that, they're worth the books. And like I say, if you're a fan of the Suicide Squad, and there's a lot of people are, especially in that movie dropping, this oh, is a perfect, yeah. perfect idea for it. Uh, August 3rd is supposed to be slated to drop. Uh, also, keeping it uh, comic-related, but, you know, this one kind of hit home a little bit. Okay. And what is that? Mar- the studio that has brought us Injustice, uh-huh. one of my favorite video games of all time, Nether- NetherRealm Studios. Uh, has been announced that they're currently working on a Marvel fighting Mm. game. So this is breaking by comicbook.com, and the article reads, NetherRealm Studios, the developer behind Mortal Kombat and Injustice, is reportedly working on a new Marvel fighting game, one which would be the first proper Marvel fighting game since 2017's Marvel vs. Capcom. Uh, in 2021, many are expecting uh, the studio to reveal and release Injustice 3. Hi, me. <laughs> and this still may happen, but it sounds like Injustice may continue to stay on ice in favor of making this game. So 
I don't have any more information on that except Marvel is in talks to bring uh, a little fighting style to their characters. Hmm. I'm on board with this. You had me at Injustice. I do want to see Injustice 3, damn it. So wait and see. Uh, you got to wait for that as long as I did for Kingdom Hearts 3. It's turning that way, but, I mean, obviously with COVID happening. Are you at 14 years? It's it's slowly getting there. Okay. It's, it's at least a couple of years now. But either way, listen, if the game happens, cool. I mean, the first two were fantastic. And I, it'll be really interesting to see their take on the Marvel uh, characters. I have to say, some of them, you can you imagine like Hulk doing a fatality? Oh, God. Or how over the top that's going to be? Yeah. No, that's going to that's gonna be something or nuts. Or Deadpool. Yeah, that's what that, I said. that'd be awesome. Yeah, like you have a lot more people to do. Or you know what? You know what would be even amazing if they could pull it off. And I'm just gonna put this wishful thinking out in the world. Marvel vs. DC. Just put it on a video game format and let it happen. There'd be a lot of paperwork that had to get worked through. Still, you would make money hand over fist if you, you put. W- you would, but it would take a lot of legal hoops to jump through. Oh shit, that'd be good. It'd make your money. You'd make your money back. That's for damn sure. Oh, you'll make your money back. You'd man. make your money back, but. Oh, is it worth it for the amount of legal hoops you'd have to jump through? Ugh. It's hard to say, but you know, like I say, you got to put the karma out there and let the world take control. So that being said, also dropping this week on the CW is the new Legends of Tomorrow yeah. uh, season premiere. Yeah. Did see the trailer. Uh, it, you know, we always say it's American Doctor Who. The yeah. trailer straight up looked like American Doctor Who to me. Like I, I saw it. I don't know exactly what's going to go on. And it'll be interesting with all the drama that's been unfolding with yeah. uh, Heat Wave this year uh, off screen. So we'll have to see what happens on screen with it. But that is going to be dropping May 2nd, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the CW or the next day on the CW app, wherever you watch that. And finally, we got to talk some wrestling. Wrestling. So this past Sunday, Impact Wrestling had their Rebellion pay-per-view. I actually watched it. Okay. Uh, Rich and 305 and I watched it. We didn't do a live stream for it because... Well, you know, we stream a lot, so you know we need a little time off. But sure. still, we wanted to watch it because this was the big hoopla for the Forbidden Door. Rick Swan, your Impact Wrestling World Champion, was taking on Kenny Omega, the AEW World Champion. And I will say this, the card itself, very good. Impact does very good pay-per-views, in my opinion. Not a lot of people know about them, but if you do tune in, you definitely get your money's worth. Yeah. This card was no exception. Trey Miguel versus Sammy Callahan was absolutely out of freaking control. Last okay. man standing match, violent as all hell. Uh, Big Cass made his return. Yeah, I heard that. I heard uh, about that. Good for him. W. Morrissey looked in phenomenal uh, shape. W. Morrissey because it is uh, an abbreviation of his actual first name. Yeah, which I'm okay with. Like, it threw me for a loop. I was like, what yeah. is this supposed to be? But yeah. you know what? Good to see him back. Yeah, good, looked- good for him. With everything he's dealt with personally, all the, yes. all the demons that he's had to deal with and fight, to see him come back and debut on on television for anybody, you know, whether it would, would have been WWE again or AEW, ROH, New Japan, Impact, whoever, good for him. Yeah, I'm no. Glad to see him do it. I was excited to see him back. I mean, like I said, he looked in phenomenal shape. He yeah, looked I really good. I've seen some photos. Dude's cut. Yeah, you know, he definitely got himself back in ring shape. And, that, you know, that's what you want to see. And for the rest of the card, like I said, it was pretty solid. The main event called by one Mauro Ronaldo. We yeah. love Mauro here on the yeah. show. So, yeah, we do. Uh, the, the match itself was good. I will say that. It was it was definitely worthy of the 
main event stature, mm-hmm. albeit, though, a couple ref hijinks because they did bring in Aubrey Edwards for AEW. But she called it down the middle. She did not okay. She did not play favorites. She took a chair away from Kenny Omega. Uh, a couple missed spots here. And in fact, one that could have ended really bad with Kenny Omega landing on his neck. Yeah. They they did miss a opportunity on the top rope. Um, yeah. But they covered it up well, but it still was a botch. Um, yeah. But take nothing away from the match. But at the end of it all, Kenny Omega won clean right. over Rick Swan. Yeah. So, Pat, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. I know you're not an AEW fan. Nope. We don't sugarcoat this. You and Coach are not AEW fans. I am. I watch the program. Mm-hmm. But hearing about another champion win clean, mm-hmm. winning clean over another champion, what kind of image do you think that sends? Uh, I think it just sends the image or the message that they are reading the internet because I know a lot of the internet figured that it wasn't going to be a clean win, that there'd be some sort of shenanigans and hijinks involved. So I think it it kind of feeds, uh, builds the image that, hey, they're paying attention to things online. Uh, I also think it builds that they are doing this in such a way that they're leaving no room for any sort of, you know, what you would might expect to see. Like, oh, my foot was under the rope or my foot was on the rope. That should not count. Like they're booking this to be the, you know, no sugarcoating it. No cutting corners that Kenny Omega is a dominant champion that can go out and beat anybody. It's something that I would expect somebody to do for like a YouTube series off of the, a video game mm-hmm. where, you know, you, you have a champion go from company to company and win all the belts and unify the belts into one super mega belt. So it's kind of video gameish. It's kind of fan fictionist. Uh, but it, it's at least a little bit interesting just to see it play out because it's one of those things that like, sure, you have conversations where oh do you ever think you know it's it's the fantasy booking you know would seth rollins ever beat will osprey you know would sting ever beat undertaker you know one of those kind of things where it's like it's actually kind of happening and it's interesting to see play out i i think it's an interesting concept i think this whole forbidden door though hasn't really benefited impact no I think that, in my opinion, the fact that Tony Khan keeps coming on there with his PSAs and he's ripping the product mm-hmm. each and every week. And they're letting him do it. Yeah, which, I mean, it is what it is. I, I am not a fan of that because no. you're making it sound like Big Brother's picking on Little Brother. Yeah. This just kind of was the cherry on that Sunday. In fact, Tony Khan being at ringside, I have to kind of criticize a little bit because he was cheering on, like, everybody in the match. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like he was rooting for AEW. He was yeah. rooting for Impact. And yeah. it, was, it was, like, it was a little weird body language. I would have understood it if he came out at the end. You know, after it was yeah. all, after, the, after the three count, bell rings, you know, Don is raising probably raising Kenny's hand. I would have understood it if, like, they go back up the ramp and back towards the entryway, and then Tony comes out and starts patting him on the back and raises his hand like Trump. I would have understood that, but, yeah, no, to have him out at ringside the entire time is weird. It was weird. Like I said, he was – because they were trying to play him as the heel owner, like his sure. wannabe Vince McMahon. Sure. And then, sure. you know, at the end, Kenny Omega wins. So my only thing now is, all right, Kenny has won. Will we finally get an impact wrestler – not name the Good Brothers, on Dynamite this week. Maybe. Because I feel you have to. I mean, you would imagine Rich is going to show up. I, you, I would say he's got to. Or Sammy Callahan, who yeah. was, yeah. Uh, I guess, awarded the title shot before he had his last man stand-up match. Yeah. You have to have somebody come on there because, if, in all honesty, and I know Rich said this as well, and I know we're going to deep dive into this on twitch.tv slash 6 podcast this week, 
who is really having the forbidden door open? Right. But impact. Right. I mean, if this is going to be an, if you know, the forbidden door is open, this has got to be for like an ongoing, if not permanent thing where you can't just have the door open for a company up until you win the belt and then you move on and nobody ever shows up again. Yeah. Like not every week, but on a fairly regular basis, you have to have wrestlers from AEW show up on on Impact, Impact show on AEW, and whoever else it ends up being down the road. If it's an ROH, if it's a New Japan, if it's an NWA, whoever it is, like this can't just be an oh it's we're doing it with this company up until it's convenient and then we're leaving them by the wayside. Yeah, it just is. It's so one sided about this, and AEW is got to be more open about having those wrestlers come down or be a, be a part of tapings. Yeah, like yeah. It, it's just it's mind blowing to me that. If you're touting that you are the forbidden door and your new progressive alternative, well, you go on other people's shows, you completely trash the product, and now you have a chance to really help that company because you're going to put them in front of a bigger audience than they have. I'll say, let's face it, it's the most relevant that company has been in like 15 years. Facts. No, I mean, they, they're much the champion of the independent scene, in my opinion. Sure. Because I know they have a TV deal and whatever with Twitch and access, you know, like wherever they've been. But still, they're not on major network television. No. So until they get on there, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. But for this, they like they could definitely use the rub because there was no hype on AEW Dynamite for the most part. No. It was when it was mentioned in what an interview segment, I think. Like Something, I, I don't yeah. remember if I'm wrong about this. Please correct me, you know, at OD Parlay Hour on Twitter. I don't remember seeing all this hype about it. Right. So how are you going to get people to go watch your champion wrestle? I mean, Christ, even even throw up a graphic or a promo in the middle of a match and have Tony Schiavone or JR, hey, be sure to check out, you know, because if, if you're working with the damn company, it's going to benefit you to promote it because your guy's going on there. Yeah. You know, have them say, hey, be sure to check out, you know, Impact Pay-Per-View, what, Sam Joe or whatever you want to call it, on on pay-per-view this Sunday where you will see AEW champion Kenny Omega take on uh, Impact champion Rich Swan. Yeah, they need to do something this week to make up for it. Like, I think that if Rick does not appear on or Sammy Callahan or even Eddie Edwards, like, you need to have somebody that represents Impact Wrestling come down on the show. Because they're getting played right now. Yeah, they're getting, they're getting absolutely punked out, and it's too bad that this is happening, but we'll have to wait and see. WWE had nothing really noteworthy to talk about, so we're no. even skipping past them this week. But there'll be a lot more to talk about on Twitch.tv slash 6M Podcast Thursdays. Uh, so definitely drop that follow and join in the chat with me and Rich because we're going to have a lot to talk about this week. I'll guarantee you that. So, Pad, all that being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that of Shout at the Robots? Yeah. And Brian Wolf? Yeah. Fair City Fire, you know, our good friend down in Texas. Where do you find out about him? Uh, there's a new website, so I'm just going to say the old one because it's ingrained in my brain. OjoDaroParleyHour.com. Right. And if you go to that, you will get directed to the new website, ODPHpodcast.com. I'll remember it at some point. That's all right. Because you know what? It will get you to the same place either way. So you swing by the website. You go check out all the great musicians we have on there because the links to all their accounts are there. So definitely want to shout out Shout. Definitely want to shout out Brian. Shout out Tom Jolu, which next week will have the brand new single from the album. Oh. It is in the email. It is fantastic. So next week, we're going to kick off the show with that. Okay. So you can find out everything going on with Tom. Sign up for the new album because when that drops, oh, let me tell you, you'll be definitely, definitely excited to have that in. Second Suitor, Yard Party, all the great musicians you hear on the ODPH. You can check them out. You can overswing by the directory, which has organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter. All the friends of the show, such as Dragon Master Games, definitely want to shout them out. And all the pod groups we're in, so definitely want to shout out the Apocalypse and Innered Circle and 607 Podcast. Rich, Ron, Mike C, and hashtag Big Natty Cool. 
Still on Twitter, Pat. Oh, boy. So everything going on with them, patreon.com slash 8122productions. And just wait till you see the renovations happening to the studio. All of that links to the T Public Store, which we have a new logo that is dropping. Pat has seen it. Mm-hmm. Pat, will you? how would you describe it? Too sweet. You'll see that on the store very, very soon. So you want to make sure you're ready to drop some cash for some ODPH swag. All of that and so much more. ODPHpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for your coach, my coach, the coach who's not here, but he's on Twitter this week. Rooting for the Nets. Yes, he will be on Thursday night giving you the up-to-date NFL draft update you're asking about. Uh, uh, At least until the Giants make their pick, and then he's either going to be unintelligible because he's excited or pissed off. Yes, so definitely make sure you're following at CoachDuffy11. We'll be retweeting him the entire night. Just get your questions in before the Giants pick, because after that, it's suspect. Yes, it is suspect to be be said at the least. But with all the late-breaking NFL news, he's going to be covering that. For the one and only Padawanjay. Uh Fun fact I saw today, NXT in its current iteration, uh, obviously old, a lot longer if it's the old, uh, initial iteration, but in NXT's current iteration, it has been around as long as WCW Monday Nitro was. Damn. Yeah. Now, if you want to get real specific, NXT's been around since 2010, but in its current iteration, uh, 2015, uh, it's been around six years. Monday Nitro was around six years. Wow. Nobody does stats like Pad. Nobody. I'm your host, Kenham. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Here we go.